I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bring, bring it Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Jake, a Newcastle fan. You get me on Twitter at Jake Jackman with two N's, and I write for EPL Index. Hi, this is Costa, also called Cost on Twitter. I write for multiple websites, including Calcio Mercato. I've even started at Foxport Asia these days, and many sites, including these football times and uh, in bed with Maradona and many others. Uh, hi, I'm Richard Burns. I'm a Manchester City fan. I'm a member of the Blue Moon podcast uh, and I write two blogs per month uh, for the podcast associated uh, blogging site as well. Great. Well, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't have a full show last week, so we didn't get into all the football league stuff, but it does continue to roll on, covering a lot of things from obviously the city and PSG allegations and obviously weird stuff about Ronaldo. We won't get into all of it. We'll just talk about the leaks on the whole and whether you guys think that they could have a positive or negative impact on the sport. Yeah, um, it's interesting, isn't it? A lot of this information is coming out and... Uh, I don't know what sort of impact it's going to have and whether any sort of serious action is going to be taken on any of these things coming out because I think it's it's difficult for it to to go from that form into into proper action. But I think it's interesting. It, it definitely in, it increases the pressure. And I've seen a lot of pressure, you know, going on, on to Manchester City recently for what's come out about them uh, and, and, you know, all the various other clubs that, that that's come out again. So it, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see what happens. But I think it's too early to, to sort of suggest what's going to happen with it. Um I mean, if a lot of the stuff that's being say, said is true, then you'd you'd like to think think things do happen because it's it's not great, uh, and it sort of does open up your eyes uh, on what does happen in football. Because I, as a supporter, know that football is quite corrupt. I'd imagine, and, I, and I, <laughs> very corrupt as the next World Cup shows. But you know, I think I think there's a lot that goes on in football that we don't know about but at the same time I don't really care about not knowing about it I sort of just enjoy the sport for what it is so I mean it's interesting that all this stuff comes out and maybe start action should be taken about uh, against these individuals and clubs that have been shown to do these things if, if they are true uh, worth worth saying that as well um, but yeah it's just a bit it's just a bit it, just, it opens your eyes about what goes on in football I think the Mbappe one was quite the stuff about Mbappe recently wasn't there that um uh, PSG had, had some sort of clause involved that if he died, they wouldn't have to pay any yeah. pay any money, which I thought was a bit weird. It's like you wouldn't even think of such a clause needed; it just needed to exist. But there you go. I, I think it just opens my eyes, but I don't expect a lot will happen. But you know, if it does, then it does. But it's yeah, I, I don't really need to know about all this anyway. I'm, I'm probably I'm probably not the best person to talk about this sort of stuff because I don't really care if there is corruption or things that go on. It doesn't really bother me. I just sort of enjoy the game for what it is. Does I know. it not bother you because, like you said, you do already think it's there, and so it's just a, hearing yeah, exactly, about it doesn't there. surprise you. Yeah, exactly. That's it. And I, I don't 
like the corruption and things that go on in the world that I don't know about. Do I really need to know? Probably not. <laughs> it doesn't really bother me. Um, it's yeah. I, I I think stuff. You know, I don't think anything will happen. I think I think a lot of, a lot of the people that that could take action know that it goes on anyway. So it's not good. It's nothing's going to happen. So, but you know, it's interesting to read some of the stuff. But yeah, it doesn't doesn't really bother me, and I, I doubt anything substantial will come from it. Yeah, just think that. Uh, if there's anyone who's going to have an impact from whatever's been happening, whatever's been leaking around, is the fans. And the only thing that's going to happen is the fans will feel even more detached and disconnected with the game than they ever were. Because it just suggests that the football at the very top is as corrupt as it can be. And if the, the top of the pyramid is as corrupt as that, you can only imagine how corrupt what comes below it can be. And it's almost like... Although I respect fans like Jake who don't really care. And that's a good attitude to have to, uh, as a football fan. I hope I had that attitude, but sorry, I don't. It's almost like there are political parties and these are politicians who are supposed to work for the welfare of the game, but all they care about is their own profit and their own pockets. So, And Johan Cruyff, I have read Johan Cruyff's autobiography a lot of times. And one thing that he focuses on in that book which is probably my favorite book I've, favorite football book I've ever read. He says that football these days is being ruined by people who don't know what football is. They've never played the game. They have never managed in it. They know nothing about the game practically. And the FIFA executive committees that we have currently, in the UFR committees, the UFA executive committees, sorry, they have people who have never been in the game. Perhaps the I think the only football player who's currently in the FIFA and UFR committee, it's probably Dejan Savicevic and all the others who are in the FIFA committee. That includes the Manchester City owner, the PSG owner and uh, Andrea Nelly, the Juventus owner. These are people who don't really know football. These are people who are millionaires. All they care about is money because they're already millionaires and billionaires. These are people who a princess, even the Bahraini's prince, who is a uh, who I think he is the head of the Asian Federation or something. I don't really know. He's the he's a prince of Bahrain and he runs the runs football in Asia. How bad it, can it be? So I just think that till the time football is run by people who don't really know football, mismanagement will be there in football and it it slowly trickle down to the levels that exist below it. And even the, I think the FIFA vice president currently, um, he he used to be a financial banker and an econ economic expert. He does nothing about football, knows nothing about football. And I'll be very honest in saying that people like him have no right to be near, no right to be controlling what football is and governing what football is. Yeah, and Richard, very curious to get your take, as obviously a lot of them were kind of directed at your club. Yeah, and that's to be fair the, the stuff that I'm probably best placed to talk about because if I'm honest, the um, the rest of it just because there's obviously been so much stuff coming out that even keeping up with the the allegations about City over the last week has been a big enough job. Um, so specifically on the on the stuff on City really, which may extrapolate to the wider context, I don't know. Um, first of all, what I would say is that in terms of stuff that might happen, clearly. Um, unpleasant though it would be for me as a, as a City fan. If City have broken rules um, or 
if the creative accounting, if we politely call it that, um, that they are alleged to have engaged in to circumvent the financial fair play rules, if, if that's true, um, and, you know, the, the leaks do seem to have some pretty compelling evidence so far, um, then clearly what UEFA have, have got to do, if they can, um, is open an investigation, and that investigation begins with requesting the documents for them to go through them themselves, um, because that has to be done independently. Obviously, the, the stuff that Der Spiegel um, have released over the last week about City, under the badge of Manchester, uh, under the headline "Manchester City Exposed," um, some of the information is pretty damning. But then, what it what it's all mixed up with as well is some incredibly tame. Uh, it, well, I wouldn't even call them allegations, just some tame information that is also, I think personally, um, produced in the form of, of quite poor journalism. So re reading that four-part expose, it was... I found it odd that they had, in the, on the first two days, some potentially seismic and... I don't know if I'd call them shocking allegations because, like Jake said, I don't think I don't think anybody could be particularly surprised that some extremely rich men and a big football club will try and bend the rules to their favour in some way. I don't think that's a shock in itself. But as news that this might need investigating, they had some really strong allegations. But what they had by day three under the banner of City Exposed was that Guardiola had agreed his contract in October, but City hadn't announced it until mm -hmm. February. And on day four, it was just a story that was basically uh, woe is the poor Bundesliga because Bayern Munich couldn't sign De Bruyne or Sané because City offered more money than they did. Which then leads me, and this isn't, I promise you, this isn't like me thinking that there's some kind of agenda against City in particular, but it does lead me to wonder what the motives of that were and it then makes me wonder when City refused to comment and referred to the hacked emails being taken out of context, it does lead me to wonder whether City might have a point there and whether if those emails in their full context and with full conversations framing them, whether they come across slightly differently. Because there was... I, I, just, I just found it really, really odd that with the information that they had, that they, that they chose to drag it out into a four-part expose. Arguably that, less meaningful things. Yeah, and that, that became... I would think journalistically, if you're going to do that, then you start with the tamer stuff and you lead into a big expose to whet people's appetite and the most serious allegations at the end. Um, and they really didn't do that. And it, it, I think it waters down the whole effect of everything. And it, it makes me wonder what Des Beagle's real... Um, well, what their real reason is for wanting to get that out there, because it ended up just reading like a boo-hoo German football can't, um, you know, the German clubs can't pay the same wages that City do. And given some of the connections that they have to Germany's biggest club, it then reads like a poor Bayern Munich. And then you, I start to think, well, Bayern Munich have been... Um, I don't think they're too popular in Germany for the way they treat other clubs and the way they sort of go about their finances. And people connected to Bayern Munich have been financially dodgy as well um, and, you know, been legally proven to be so. So the whole thing just, I don't know. 
I, I think there's a, there's a lot to sort through, and that's why, um, to take back to my initial point, UEFA need to start an investigation on it to work out what, if any, offences have been committed. Um, if City have committed offences, then the appropriate punishment needs to be meted out. I have I have no problem with that, um, you know, because that's just right and proper. Um, but it, it does need to be sifted through because it's just a lot. And, and also to work out whether any evidence that could be provided is actually admissible because stuff that comes from hacked emails won't necessarily be admissible. Work out which of it they've dealt with before because City have been punished with financial fair play breaches before. Um, and then a conversation for another day, to be fair. But it's, it is hard to have this conversation without also having the wider conversation about financial fair play in itself Um in principle, the idea of having something that protects clubs is is clearly a good thing. In practice, it was designed in a way that protected the top clubs and pulled the drawbridge up on everybody else. Uh, and City are extremely lucky that they got in before that. But also, City and PSG's money was a large part of what um what precipitated that action, really. Mm-hmm. So because it, it had to a- happen for there to be a reaction. Exactly. Yeah, and of course. Um, I realise it sounds like battening down the hatches and I really don't mean it to, but there were plenty of clubs spending a lot of money before City, PSG and Chelsea uh, came along. Obviously, Chelsea a little bit before. And yes, some people have been consistent and always had a problem with the amount of money that there is in the game. Um, But a large part of it actually seemed to be a snobbery about where that money could come from once City and PSG's owners got involved. I don't think that's an anti-City thing. I do think it's a protectionism um, thing, though, from some of the elite clubs. The ultimate proof of that is that when City got their suspended, um, when they got their financial fair play fine, and part of it was suspended after City, um, I think, threatened to pursue UEFA legally on that, and so settled on a, on a lesser fine, the other Champions League clubs were then allowed to vote on how that on what happened to that money and lo and behold they voted to split it between themselves so you know um there's a lot of things that are questionable about the rule in itself but that said um you can't just say that because you don't like a rule you're not going to follow it so i've no problem with the questions being asked of city but i do think that some of the reporting around it has been hysterical to a point that it didn't need to be um and just from a pure, just a pure quality of writing point of view, it, it's been journalistically questionable for something that could have been actually a lot more explosive than I think it is. Hmm. Yeah, uh, multiple people mentioning, you know, it'll be interesting to see if there are any actions. Also, who would take the action? Would it be UEFA? Do we trust the actions of UEFA? Because aren't they equally complicit in a lot of these things? Um, so yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see if anything does come of it because uh, they are explosive, as we've said. Um, but it remains to be seen what the impact will be long term. Um, next up, we'll talk about uh, managers because we've made it to November, a third of the way through the season, without a single Premier League club switching managers thus far. Um, who do you guys think would be the first to make a change at their manager position, and when do you think it would come? Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one. I think I'm surprised there hasn't been one yet. Um, but at the same time, I can't think of. Who who I would suggest should lose their job. Um, I don't think there's anybody. Well, there's, I mean, there's a few doing poorly, but I just think that's, that's just where their clubs are. Like, Yukanovic uh, is an obvious one based based on what they spent during the summer. But there was a slight reaction against Liverpool, um, and I know that, that some of their supporters, based on that, are saying they deserves more time. I think that any team, 
will up their game against the bigger teams when they're on TV. So I don't really think there's much to much to take from that one. Um, so I think he he's one that should probably be in the firing line soon, especially if they keep losing. I think they got Southampton next. So if they don't win that game, that 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 is very worrying. Uh, Mark Hughes, I think Southampton have been pretty poor this season. Uh, I went saw went to St Mary's a couple of weeks ago to see Newcastle play there, uh, and although Newcastle were terrible that day, so was Southampton. And they've, I think they've only won one Premier League game this season, have they? I think I might, I think they have. They draw draw a lot of games, but they don't win much. And I know they're already quite a poor team, but I don't think he's the man to turn them around or anything. So I think he's won. Uh, and I'd probably say Hodgson. You know, I think Palace haven't been great uh, near the bottom now. Yeah, haven't won in seven. So yeah, and I think Palace are just one of those teams that do like to change their manager. Um, and I think Hodgson did all right last year. He came in and did well after De Boer, but I don't think he's a long term man. And and he's not even really the short term man now, based on what they're doing. So I think they're the three that that immediately jump to mind. Obviously, Mourinho is still still about, but he pulls out the old good result. Well, he pulled out a really good result against Juventus, and it seems to to be taken over. And you can't really say much about him losing to City because I think City are clearly the best team in the league. So you know, it's, I mean, it's disappointing for him because it's a derby game, but I wouldn't say it means he should lose his job or anything. Uh, and I think it's probably too late to make that change anyway. The amount of Ground man that had lost, so I think he's probably going to stick around for the season. Um, I'm sure Richard will be delighted about that as well. But <laughs> I think, yeah, so you know, they're, they're the three for me. I think Hodgson, Yukanovic, and Hughes—they're the three that I think sh- probably should go. And I expect all three to go at some point during the season. But yeah, I'd expect one of those to go sooner or later. Probably, probably Hughes first, I think. Um, but yeah, it could be it could be any of them really. Yeah, for me, I think it's Jokanovic again, because if Fulham have had him since quite a long time, and if, say, Fulham had a new manager this summer instead of Jokanovic, um, that new manager would have been very openly in the would have been very openly in the firing firing line, because whenever a manager who's been at the club for quite a long time gets the, gets that team promoted back into the Premier League. Fans have a lot of sympathy for him, no matter what he does. The board has sympathy for him. And I just think that although Fulham have, Fulham have been pretty bad this season, the new signing that they've made, they've, the formation changes they've made, they, they, they've failed to get a single lineup in there. That's that's probably one of the reasons why they've been bad. But I think Jokanovic would not have been there if he would have... I, I mean... He, if this was some other manager, he would he would have been sacked by now, or he would have been much closer to the exit than Jokanovic is. But I think Fulham are a classic example of how teams and the team's owners think that spending money is probably the solution to play well. That's never been the solution, be it historically or on the basis of what's happening these days. Even West Ham spent a lot of money, and I was pretty sure that the day they signed Felipe Anderson, I was very sure that. They won't finish inside the top ten. They really are going to struggle. Although they have improved quite a lot since those uh, defeats early on, but uh, Fulham, uh, Fulham belong to belong right to the extreme of that point because uh, Jokanovic has failed to, I mean, nail down the first team, and he has been changing around his formations quite a lot. And uh, Luciano Vieta was brought in. He's never really played too much. Seri was dropped today. And I think one more reason for the failures has been the injuries that Kenny has suffered this season. He's been pretty 
in and out of the side a lot because he's I think he's had some problems with his ankle or something and Tim Ream was really good for Fulham last season when they were getting promoted into the championship and he's come in very late into the season and I think uh, the first game he played it was pretty bad for him and Fulham have never really had a consistent backline in the Premier League ever since they came back so a lack of consistency in terms of selection has been a problem yeah, I mean it's it's hard really to add anything um, other than just you know listing the managers at the bottom. Really, I think one of the things that's interesting this year that has maybe kept some of the lower end managers in the in the jobs is there are at both ends of the table there is a, an almost well a very unusual level of consistency at both ends. So I think to be this far into the season with such a group of teams, to still have three teams that are unbeaten is unprecedented. And similarly at the bottom, to have a group of, such a, a big group of teams with a ma- who've only got a maximum of two wins is very, very unusual. And so it means that, I think, the teams that are in the worst form, um, they're not getting really cut adrift. And so maybe that is keeping managers in place uh, a little bit longer or, or making owners and chairman feel a little bit more that they can bide the time. Um, I, I think Djokanovic is probably likely to be the first to go. Um, from what I've seen of Fulham, and I've seen them twice against City, um, which granted is a slightly harsh way to, to judge them. But in terms of what they do on the ball at the back and then what they do once they lose the ball, I mean, that they are... From what I've seen, they're, they're pretty inept. They're, they're trying to play a game that I understand got them out of the championship, but they don't look equipped to play in the Premier League. Their, their understanding of each other's position at the back and when they're trying to play it out is shocking. The mistakes that they make in giving the ball away is, um, I, I'd say, to a level I haven't seen since Roberto Martinez was managing Wigan and, and they were giving goals away left, right and centre that were all their own doing week in, week out. Um and that makes me wonder how long that can really last because then they have no shape then when they're having to recover those situations and it's over and over again. Uh, granted, I didn't see the game against Liverpool this weekend, so if they had a bit of a reaction, then maybe that's an encouraging thing for them. But I think they look shockingly bad at the back and the defence Their defence is what quite possibly will relegate them. Um, above that, I, to be honest, expected Warnock might well be gone by now because that's what happens when he manages in the Premier League. Um, but to be fair, I mean, they've got two wins and they're, they're, not, they're certainly not being cut adrift. Um, and Mark Hughes would be the other, the other standout for me. I think Southampton, what they have become in the last two, three seasons after how refreshing they were when they came up with their production line from the youth system and the, the great football that they used to play uh, under Pochettino and then, and then Koeman. Uh, it's all fallen away. That, that succession planning has fallen apart completely. Uh, and so to me, their, their relegation feels sort of inevitable over the next couple of seasons. Um, and whether they will act sooner this year than they did last when they sacked uh, Pellegrino, um, I suppose remains to be seen, but, I think Hughes's time as a go-to manager to improve teams in that area of the league might well be up, um, and I think I think maybe Southampton will probably realise that sooner rather than later. Mourinho's the outlier because United will only allow themselves to be cut so far adrift of 
the top four because it's so essential to their the way that they finance themselves. And as of today, they are seven points adrift. I don't think he'll go soon because they've always got those wins in them, as, we, as we've seen recently. Um, they had the extremely impressive result in uh, in Turin this week. So clearly, he's not completely lost the dressing room, as was the suspicion earlier in the season. But equally, I don't believe that all those problems and personality clashes will have gone away completely and it always feels like there's just something waiting to rear its head uh, and it is Mourinho third season syndrome so he'll probably make it through the season but he is worth keeping an eye on I think because it's not impossible that he'll go especially with the spectre of Zidane always just waiting and, and hovering over him. Yeah sorry uh, to bring this up but let's stick with Manchester United um, we don't want to rub too much salt in the wound there cause but uh, something I want to focus on is this Manchester United defense. Obviously, they concede three to Manchester City. Plenty of clubs are going to do that this year. I don't think today was a particular indictment on this front. But last year, Manchester United were a goal away from having the best defense in the Premier League. And this year are in the bottom five. Last year, 19 clean sheets, obviously over 38 matches. This year, just one thus far. What has happened to this United defense at, and at times it looks like De Gea could be part of the issue but what has happened at the back there for Manchester United cause we'll start with you well I think one problem is pretty well documented and has been talked about since quite a while since this past summer that Jose wasn't allowed the funds to sign another centre-back we can go on and on about it but uh, I mean one bigger problem I mean not equivalent to that problem I mean which has been a problem which has affected how our defence has been. It's been how poor Nemanja Matic has been. He's, I don't think there's been even a single game in which he's been as good as he was last season. Because last season, uh, Matic was probably our third best player of the season. And after, I think, De Gea and Lukaku, Matic was probably our best player. Uh, and defensive midfielders have always been a very important part of Jose's side in the past, be it Makelele or even Lasana Diara at Real Madrid and uh, Matic was there at Chelsea and everywhere Jose has gone he's had one um, defensive midfield player who breaks play up, sits in front of the back four, shields the back four and uh, plays a simple passes forward and allows the players around him and players in front of him freedom to move. Matic did that job really well last season and he was a big part of our success and this season he's fallen off from where he was. Uh, there was there was this game against uh, Burnley where it was Fellaini who was uh, starting as our defensive midfield player since Matic was suspended, and that was the only game that United won without any problems. We I think won that game one 0 and uh, it just shows that the lack of form that Matic has he it's affecting us a lot. And uh, I think even Andreas Ferreira he started against Brighton and then against Brighton after he was really poor in that game, he's disappeared. He's never been seen before apart from, I think, two substitute appearances. And But Matic has been miles more poor than how poor Pereira was against Brighton. And Matic is still, still there. That's probably, I get the point that Jose trusts him as his really trusted guard and all that. But I think it's a bit unfair to have Matic in there because because he is that trusted guard, but he's probably been one of our worst players this season. And that's affected a lot. And apart from that, I think uh, the fact that Victor Lindelof has played so well this season in the last five or six games, we have been really good. And he, I think he was the man of the match against Juventus as well. And the fact that he's 
probably living up to what he should have been. That has helped us, but if we had another centre-back, uh, which we had signed in the summer, would have been miles more better, but we don't seem to be good enough. And I, I don't think we it would be fair to, fair to blame De Gea for that. He's been really good, still made really good saves in a lot of games. I just think that the problem for Manchester United this year has just been it's just a lack of consistency in team selection, a lack of consistency in the tactics. There seems to be things changing every week. Um, and you know, Lukaku's out of the team now. That that changes everything in the in the way they have to play because they don't have that focal point up front, um, somebody to hold up the ball as as well as Lukaku can do on his day. Um, so they just seem to be changing a lot and. And yeah, I agree on the Matic. Matic for me, he's not been great, but I think it's sort of a reflection on how he was at Chelsea. He was really good for a for a, a season or two, and then he then he dropped off a cliff. Uh, funnily enough, in the the season Mourinho was sacked there, so it maybe I don't know, but maybe this should have been predictable. Uh, his his decline. Uh, I think the Pogba problem. It's always one because you know they they don't know which system to get the best out of Pogba and which midfielders to play with him and, and the role he has to play in the defence. Um, and just the, the amount of errors he makes on the ball. Um, somebody who's meant to be world-class, he does give the ball away a lot in, in dangerous positions. I know there was that one a couple of weeks ago um, that was picked up on. And I think it was against Everton, wasn't it? When he gave yeah. the ball away? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's just individual errors as well. I don't think Smalling is great. I don't think Lindelof is very good. I think Bally is uh, is probably the best out of them, but he doesn't really seem to be getting a shot for one reason or another. Uh, you've got Ashley Young still playing fullback, which, you know, team that has ambitious to challenge for the title and for the Champions League, you shouldn't have Ashley Young still at fullback, regardless of what he might offer in terms of leadership. I don't think he's a very good defender. Or, or particularly a very good footballer anymore, especially not one that should be playing week in, week out for Manchester United. And there's just a lot of players like that. Just, there's just a lot of players in that team that you just think they shouldn't be playing for Manchester United. Luke Shaw, I know he's been better this year, but is he is he a top top footballer? Probably not. Uh, Fellaini, uh, I think he has a, he's, he's a tactical weapon, but apart from that, he doesn't really, you know, he's a good player to have around the squad, but he shouldn't be starting the Manchester derby. Herrera, I thought was really good a couple of seasons ago, but he seems to have dropped off. And I think the signings of Pogba and um, Matic sort of did for Herrera. And I think he was unfairly sidelined, and now he's a shadow of the player that he was. Yeah, I just don't. I, and even when you look at you know the wingers that play, I don't think Lingard and Rashford and Martial really do a lot enough defensively. Whereas that's what you sort of became accustomed to of a Mourinho team that the wingers would do so much defensive work, but I just don't think that's the case with, with the selection he's got at Manchester United. I just think it's I just think there's a lack of a lack of lack of direction, a lack of a like a, a proper tactical plan. And I just think it's a, still a team of individuals for me. I just I just think it's it's so much so many problems. And I and I think it this year it's been a confidence one and I think the Matich form is is a massive, massive thing. But yeah, I just think it's a lack of confidence and a lack of ideas. And I just don't think it's going to get much better, really. I think they've got the the individual quality to pull out wins against, you know, the likes of Newcastle, like they did, uh, Everton. And, um, you know, they've got they've got the quality to do that. But do they have the, the quality to 
to beat the very best teams, probably not consistently. I know they beat Juventus, but I think I don't. I wouldn't be expecting results like that very often with this current Manchester United team and, and manager. I just think that was a as an exception. But yeah, I just think there's a lot of problems. I just think it's just the it's just a mess. That's, that's all it is, and I, I think Mourinho is is contributed to that. But right, right now, I just think it's they don't have the in they don't have the the players at the back. They don't have the the setup. Yeah, it's it's just a bit of a mess. So yeah, I, I, I do think it's going to improve. To be honest, I, I, I'm not that surprised to have seen their defense get so much worse in in a matter of months. I just think it's it's what happens to Mourinho in the third season. I think the the recruitment didn't help him, but yeah, this is a lot of problems. Yeah, the the joys of going left, all the good points have already been taken. Um, I <laughs> agree um, hugely with Jake. Um, I think the, the the probably the two main things that um, that I would pick out from from Jake are that United are a team of individuals. Um, I, I I agree with that so much. The the thing with Mourinho has always been that he's not really a fantastic coach. He's a he has been a great great manager and one of the defining managers of his era. But what he does is he or what he did do is he has long excelled at pushing players to their absolute maximum and consistently getting the best out of them and making them work exceptionally hard for the team to the point of sometimes curbing some of his uh, more naturally skillful players, curbing some of their instincts to make them more functional in a team unit. But what he's never been really is somebody who coaches a team or coaches players to be better than they currently are. He, He gets everything out of them but he doesn't necessarily improve them. And at the moment, and so, I mean, the, the direct comparison to make to that is Guardiola, who, and I, I don't I realise that's obviously an extremely biased thing to do, but I think it's fair. <clears throat> you look at what Guardiola has done in the same time, pretty much every single City player that he's taken charge of, uh, um, that is still there, is significantly better than they were when Guardiola took the reins. Um, the only players that he's not really done that with were the ones that were either over the hill, like Zabaleta Kolarov, um, or Claudio Bravo, whose signing was clearly a mistake in hindsight. Everyone else who's, um, is pretty... Well, not everyone else is still there, but the, the vast majority of players have improved and all the ones that are still there are better than they originally were. Um Pochettino does it, I think, where he improves players. I think we're seeing it with Sarri at Chelsea. I think I think we see it with Klopp. I think the top end of the Premier League now has moved towards that. I think it's a, a different type of management that is breeding success. United won't win the Premier League under Mourinho. I'd be surprised if there'd be anybody left who would, who would argue that point now. And I think that is a large part of it. And the defence is such a key element of that because United just do not have any great defenders. They, frankly, have the defenders of a team that sit outside the top six and that sits 12 points off the top. I think when you look at the stats around them, it just all fits. Like, it's weird because it's Manchester United, but it's not weird to see a team in that position have these problems. It's just a... 
that's what they are now. And, and under Mourinho, I don't really think it's going to fix itself. They will always be capable of great results because they do have players who can, in a moment, turn a game, who can pull something out of the blue. But they're just not special anymore. And, and they need the defenders that they've got to improve because the other point that I really agree with with Jake is that their recruitment policy just doesn't really work. It's very, very strange. Um, they always back the manager more significantly when they've dropped out of the Champions League and then when they're back in the Champions League and establish themselves back in it, they stop providing the same amount of finances um, or the same, you know, the, the, the same level of backing. And that that is not a model for long-term success because you're just going to keep repeating the cycle of dropping out and then spending the money and getting back in and then dropping back out and then spending the money and getting back in. And as long as they're happy to do that, they'll, they'll essentially become um, sort of potentially another arsenal where the priority for a long time was just maintaining themselves in the top four because it worked for the business. And that isn't really what Manchester United should be about, but it's what they're threatening to become. And Mourinho is a pretty significant part of that. Um, but he can't coach players to be better. So as long as they've got these problems and Mourinho is there, those problems will remain. They're not, they're not going to get significantly better. All right, and that will do it for Making the Round. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, Jake, we're back and we'll start off with you talking about Newcastle. Two wins in a row uh, propels you from uh, what looked to be the relegation area of just the bottom three to slightly above that, uh, up in 14th. Uh, Solomon Rondon scores a brace on the day. We had talked on your last appearance about where were the goals going to come from for Newcastle, and here come two. Do you think Solomon Rondon could be the answer to the goal-scoring issues at Newcastle? Um, I mean, no. <laughs> <I've>, he, <laughs> he's never really scored many goals in it. In, in in a season, I think he's, he's most. I mean, he was playing for West Brom. I think he hit double figures once, uh, and he's playing in a Pulis team. So maybe it's a little bit unfair to judge him on that. Um, but yeah, I think I think he, he's definitely going to be our our biggest goal threat. But I'd be surprised if he hit double figures. To be honest, I think we're going to be relying on keeping things tight at the back and winning games one one two nil. Then we are going to be scoring lots of goals. And so I think he's, he's yeah. I think he played really well yesterday. Um, he was involved in everything. It was probably the best pure striker performance I've seen from Newcastle player in a long time. He was holding up the ball. He was doing little things to just unsettle defenders, uh, win free kicks near the end when we were trying to hold on, um, hold on to the win. Uh, his first goal was, 
you know, it's good anticipation to get the rebound. His second one was an excellent header, um, which was helped by the, the great play in the build-up by both Key and Kennedy. So, um, yeah, he was excellent. And it, I think with Rondon, he's just a player that really unsettles defenders. And I think I've, I've read about, I, you know, I've read a lot of people say that he's one of the, the toughest opponents they've ever come up against just because of his pure physicality. Yeah, uh, and no, I, can see I know Toby's said it. Yeah, and, and I can see why Benitez wanted to to bring him in over Mitrovic. And, and when you when you watch Fulham uh, and Mitrovic and you watch Newcastle and, and Rondon on Saturday, there's just much. There's a massive difference. You can see why Benitez went for went for the latter over over Mitrovic because uh, he just does so much unselfish work. Uh, and he, he, yeah, he was excellent. Um, but t- just a bit on you know I, I, um, on the defence, I think I, I wanted to go into on the podcast because I just think it's been a little bit underrated because of how mm. poorly we because of the results we've had. But you know, you look at our the, the players that played. Uh, yesterday, uh, yesterday we had Dubravka, Yedlin, Fernandez, Shah, and Dummett. Comes to about, I think it was about twelve million that comes to overall. Uh, you know, in, in what we spent on them, and and they were excellent. And you can see the the value Benitez brings to that back four compared to you know the the likes of Huddersfield and and Fulham, Southampton Palace. So I just think we we've got a much better defence than any of those teams, and, and that shows in the table. Um, so yeah, I think he, they were all excellent yesterday. Um, and yeah, I just, I'm just, I mean, every time I came on the podcast before we got those two wins, I was saying, I, I'm not worried about getting relegated. We're going to win enough games. Um, Benitez is never going to get relegated over the whole season. And so it has proven because I, although it's only, you know, a couple of games, those two wins have taken us up to 14 and we don't play a top six team until boxing day now. So, I, I, you know, I think the problem before when we were, you know, we were losing against Brighton and, and Leicester was that we didn't have any confidence. We'd lost a lot of games. And, and I just think the moment it turned, it was a, although it was a boring game against Southampton, getting that clean sheet in that point was, was massive. Uh, and then last week against Watford to follow that up with a win. And then, and of course, you know, it, it's momentum. And we've seen it a lot of Newcastle in recent years that we do go on these long losing runs. But when we get a couple of wins, we do seem to, to sort ourselves out. So yeah, I think it's it's really positive, uh, and this is exactly why I've not been worried about relegation really, because there are some terrible teams at the bottom of the table, and the fact we're up to 14th after just two wins just proves that. Uh, and and like I say, Benitez and, and the way he organises teams and the way he can go into to a single game against any any other team and sort of come up with a tactical idea to win that game, which I think he did with Bournemouth. Uh, we went toe to toe with them. I think it's pretty even in so, uh, in terms of shots and possession and whatnot, but. We knew that we had to go like that against Bournemouth because they, they've been so good at creating chances. We had to sort of match that and, and go for it in that way. Uh, and with Rondon, he, he did did play the perfect role. But, you know, Bournemouth are sixth uh, and they've won their last, the previous two away games by by a combined score. I think it was like 9-0. So the fact we won that game, uh, it, it's, it's sort of been underrated in how big a result that is and how well we did to get that result. So, yeah, I'm, I'm massively pleased with that one. Yeah, and then uh, quickly, I saw you on Twitter praising uh, Federico Fernandez, and I did think that he was a very good signing. Also, you bring in Char in defense, and you mentioned they were the pair yesterday. Uh, but just how good has Fernandez been since joining? Oh, he's been excellent. Uh, I think it was a little bit of an underwhelming signing because we're signing him for Swansea who were relegated, and it just seemed a bit of a just a bit of a dull 
dull signing, um, but he's been really, really good. I think it was for, I think Benitez said it was a bit under five million that we got him for, and for that price, he's an absolute bargain. He's played in a World Cup final before, he played for Napoli uh, under Benitez, so I think that's probably why he was brought in because of that already. Uh, the, the, the relationship was already there, and and the more you watch him, just the way he puts his body on the line, uh, his leadership, his ability on the ball, you just thinking back to that Swansea defence, it was Mawson quite often getting getting praised and he was the one that got the, the big money moved to Fulham during the summer. But, uh, it, you know, the, the the fortunes of both those players since maybe makes me think that Fernandez was the one in that, that Swansea back four that was that was, was the better player. Uh, and he's really coming to the fore of Newcastle. And he, he's already our best defender. Um, and his partnership with Shaw in the last couple of games has been really, really good. Uh, with Shaw being more of a ball-playing centre-back who can create chances from deep. So it sort of begs the question, does, does, does our captain have much of a place in the team anymore? Um, and I, it's early days to be suggesting that because I think Shah is still a little bit loose in, in the way he defends and he, he can give away a couple of rush tackles. Um, but yeah, I just I just think those two have been excellent. Uh, and the fact he Benitez can go out and bring these players in for such low fees, even though he has no budget to spend, just, just speaks volumes about how good he is, um, both as a coach and, and as a as a spotter of talent because he, he's doing excellent again at Newcastle um, and it, it, it continues to amaze me that he's, he's he's doing this work because I don't think any other ma- I mean not many managers in the world could could manage this Newcastle team under Mike Ashley and get what he does out of them so yeah just very happy with that and very happy with that uh, signing with Fernandez because he's been excellent mm-hmm all right, Cause, coming to you now, uh, talking about Manchester United, we talked about some of the dark stuff earlier, but there has been a bright spot over the past few weeks in Anthony Martial, who seems to finally be flashing some of the potential that we've seen in him for years. I think four goals in the last five now. Um, some of those came with Lukaku not starting up front. Is there any idea that maybe Martial would play up front, which I believe is still his natural position, or do you think a combination of Rashford and Lukaku would still be preferred up front? Well, I think he should be given a go up front, but the amount of that depth we have for players who can play up front, that will probably make him play out wide more often than not because uh, playing out wide has probably, uh, I think, the last four or five games that he's played in and the goals he scored, that they've probably been from playing out wide. And yeah, where although, he's cut in and curled it in. Yeah. a lot. I mean, a majority of them have been that, or maybe all of them have, but... Uh, when he was Monaco and came to United early on, he used to play as a striker in every single game. And as it's been with a lot of United number 10s and strikers, they've been pushed out wide. So I just think that he should be given a go up front, but especially during times when Lukaku is not, not been, been at his very best. But I think uh, it's come to a point where Martial has established a position out wide and again, pushing him up pushing him to play up front will maybe only damage the morale that he currently has. Yeah, and then uh, Pogba misses today through injury, but there are reports now that he and Mourinho have uh, cured whatever ills were there in their relationship. Um, Do you think that the combination will get the best out of each other at United, or do you think one will have to go for the other to be successful? Yeah, I think... Pogba can't play under Jose Mourinho. And I've really got doubts about whether Pogba can play in the Premier League. I know it's, I sound like a grim soonest a lot, but I'm really afraid of Pogba's future at United. And 
if he does join a Premier League club after leaving United at any point in his career, I really fear for him because Pogba basically has no positioning positioning sense of how he plays, no tactical intelligence. I am being harsh on him, but that's the truth. And Mourinho has done everything he can to give Pogba as much freedom as he wants in midfield. He's signed all midfielders in the world for him. He's played him as a number 10 and obviously his performances have increased and have increased to a level when uh, he's played as a number 10 as the and as the sole attacking midfield player or as a central midfielder who's playing further forward as compared to the other two midfielders. But I think under Jose Mourinho, Pogba really can't play because every time Jose Mourinho put, puts out a team to play in any single game. He demands his players to work hard, beat the wingers or sometimes even the striker. So, if Pogba is playing in the midfield, he has to help out the defensive midfield player. And since Matic has been really poor this season, as I previously mentioned, Pogba has been really bad this season. Although he has been, I mean, good in patches, that's how his United career has been so far. I mean, his second coming at United has been so far. It's as if if Nemanja Matic doesn't play a lot of times, I mean, 90% of times, the whole playing style and structure on which United play almost collapses. And Pogba is a victim of that, but he's not helped himself at all. And I think uh, the Premier League specifically needs midfielders to be more tactically intelligent than Pogba is. Like, there have been instances since Pogba has come back to United when especially against uh, Liverpool, I think it was two seasons ago when we were playing Liverpool at home. He seemed out of depth or something. Like, it was a handball which came out of nowhere. It was really stupid on his part to do that. And this season against Everton and Chelsea, I mean, players who have to play in the Premier League on a consistent basis don't make errors like that. Or it can be just because he's playing under a manager like Jose Mourinho, who's who prefers having defensive organization and having a compact defense and making sure that players work hard and give their all on the pitch. But you look at the kind of player Mesut Ozil is, he's always been criticized for not working hard enough. And he's the way Ozil has been playing since he came to the Premier League from Real Madrid, it's pretty much been similar to how Pogba's, Pogba's time has been at United. They perform in patches. They play. They're players who deal in moments, not in matches. They there'll be a moment when Pogba can flick a switch and do something brilliant, and maybe this next moment he'll do something so poor that you'll absolutely vomit. So it's almost as if Pogba maybe is not meant for the Premier League. If he goes to the Serie A, I think I know Serie A is very also requires tactical intelligence and it relies on defensive solidarity a lot, but. Jose Mourinho's system is not helping Pogba at all. All right, and Richard, uh, finishing up with you, uh, Raheem Sterling gets a new contract this week amidst, obviously, stories complaining about how much money he makes and or spends. Uh, but how important is it to the future of City to have Raheem Sterling and so many of these young players tied down long-term? It's absolutely huge. Uh, it's one of the things that City do really well, getting um, players tied up uh, on quite long-term contracts. Um Jesus did it last year. De Bruyne signed a new contract despite having plenty of time left to run. Uh, there's rumours that John Stones is set to sign a bumper new deal. Um, the, I think there's even talk of Phil Foden being given one, but I mean that that's an absolute necessity because he's 
18 and I believe still on a contract so that doesn't reflect the fact that he's now uh, a first team player obviously not uh, the most crucial one we've got at the moment but it's uh, still right and proper that he gets a contract that reflects his increased status in the squad um, so yes yeah, City do it really well tying down the young players uh, Pep also mentioned recently that Sané uh, I think that they're trying to get him tied down Um <clears throat> And we've got, I mean, we've got a young squad. We've got some phenomenally talented young players and they are doing quite incredible things on, on the pitch and they are, they're proving their worth. And so it's only right, really, that obviously, I mean, they are insane amounts of money that they earn, but that's nothing new. That's just in line with what, with the money that is in the game. And it's right that, that the players get that. I mean, you can make all sorts of moral arguments for uh, should footballers be paid £300,000 a week, but as long as that money is in the game, it should be, in my opinion, the players that uh, that get the benefit of that. So, um, you know, good for them. Sterling, in particular, has become such an important part of this City team. Uh, that it, I mean, it... It's one of the real, uh, forgive me if this sounds a bit a bit twee and a little bit cutesy, but it's one of the real joys that I get out of watching City at the moment is seeing his, uh, his development in particular because he's gone from being clearly a, phenomen- a phenomenally talented kid when he really broke through at Liverpool. By the time City spent a lot of money from him, uh, spent a lot of money on him. It was a bit of a leap of faith because he'd gone off the boil a bit at Liverpool and under Brendan Rodgers. His first season with City wasn't fantastic, I think it would be fair to say. I think he was badly managed by Manuel Pellegrini because he didn't manage him in a way that got the best out of him. Guardiola started to get that in his first season at the club and their first season together, but it wasn't consistent. Last season, clearly, he improved significantly, but this season... He's at the point now where it was not only a case of wanting to give him a new contract because he's a good player and obviously having him under contract maximises his value if Real Madrid do come sniffing around, as has been linked for quite a long time. Uh, And personally, I believe he'll probably end up in Spain at some point because he's a player who wants to sample different football and he's good enough to go and do it. Um, But for City, it was important to tie him down to get some of his best years out of him because actually now it's very, very hard to imagine this team without him, particularly in De Bruyne's absence. He is flourishing. Um, he's He must be one of the first names on the team sheet every week. Um, he's electric. He's, his decision-making has improved no end. Um, and what I thought today in the derby, I think he'll probably uh, be disappointed with some of his, his touches and decisions in the box, but the, his performance overall was an extremely, extremely mature performance. I think, um, I think Pep has hinted that he's told him off for some of his stepovers at the end, which were unnecessary. But I would say he was playing to the gallery there. The fans loved it. It was, it was uh, to be quite frank, taking the mick a little bit and, and rubbing United's noses in it. And obviously, as a supporter, you like that on Derby Day. Uh, but maybe Pep wants his players to be a little bit more respectful. Uh, but overall, it was an extremely mature performance. His his work rate 
is phenomenal. There are times that we see him in the right back position, winning the ball, the space that he earned for himself um, out wide in the middle. Pep actually took Aguero off today and left us without an out and out striker and put Sterling down the middle. And City improved as a result. The last 20 minutes of that game was. I think probably City's best spell actually um, and, and that was in large part because of the option that Sterling gave them up front uh, so I, I'm absolutely delighted that, that City have got him signed it was a, a nagging concern uh, that he might have his head turned by uh, by offers from clubs that you know any player to be fair would struggle to turn down Real Madrid are consistently linked with him uh, and I'm like I say I think he, he will end up in Spain at some point and it might well be Real Madrid that take him uh, but I'm glad that it's not going to be just yet because I just want to see more of him and he's with the right manager uh, I, I would think he will although I think his development will continue and he's not at his best you know he, he's not in his best years yet I, I would be surprised if he if he ever finds a player manager relationship quite as fruitful as the one that he's got with Guardiola at the moment and uh, it's well known at City that he spends a lot of time working with Mikel Arteta as well. Uh, and so I think the, the relationships that he has with his manager and, and key coaches there, um, along with the financial incentive, I think are probably pretty key in his reasons for staying at City. And he's loved. I think he's loved at City in a way that he's, he's not been. We all know that Sterling's had run-ins with the English press. He's, he's not at all treated fairly by them still. Uh, but he has come to be loved by the City fans and, and I think that must, I'd hope that that means a lot to him. I'm not, uh, I'm not naive enough to think that that's his key reason for staying here or that that outweighs uh, the, the sort of 300 grand a week that he could be earning um, once performance bonuses are taken into account. Uh, but I, I would like to think that it means something to him to have found somewhere that, that maybe feels like a home in a way that previous clubs haven't. All right, and then unfortunately, Kevin De Bruyne gets injured on his road to recovery. Um, fortunately, the other knee, I believe, um, so not an exacerbation, but he will likely be out for another month again. Uh, is there any one player that you think benefits from that, or do you just think that Bernardo Silva and Riyad Mahrez, kind of an equal share, will be more involved? Yeah, I think Bernardo in particular. Um, Mahrez is looking, is looking brilliant at the moment. He had a, a shaky first four or five games, I think, just getting used to the system and looking like he wanted to do, like he was doing, like he was trying a little bit too hard to impress. But since he got his first two goals at Cardiff, uh, he has really, really settled down and looks a pretty important member of the team. He is, at the moment, preferred above Leroy Sané to start the big games. Um, and there's, to be quite frank, no reason for that to change at the moment. Um, but I think Bernardo, in that position, in particular, is absolutely relishing the responsibility that he's got last year. I think something that, that people don't really realise is that Bernardo had, uh, it was City's highest appearance maker um, of, of any outfield player last season. I think that um, I think that surprises people when they find that out. Granted, in the early part of the season, a lot of those... It, before Christmas, quite a lot of those were off the bench, but he was he was involved quite heavily. 
But his influence has grown and grown this year um, to the point that it's now, again, it's just expected that he's going to be a starter. There's little room for rotation with him. He just, he plays and plays and plays. Uh, he really, really, uh, it's known that he really impressed Pep in the summer. Went off the back of the World Cup, Pep requested, but crucially didn't enforce, but he, he suggested that it would be beneficial for Bernardo to return earlier than scheduled to pre-season training. And he went and met up with the team in America when... Uh, it wasn't a strict requirement. Um, and that went down very, very well with Pep, that he was so keen to to get embedded back into the team and, and sort of further his development in that way. And he really hit the ground running this season with his goal at Arsenal in the first game, an extremely impressive performance. The guy, his touch is out of this world. His passing is fantastic. He is probably the heir apparent to David Silva. They're not the same player, but it's a very easy comparison given that they're both diminutive, uh, both left-footed, and crucially, both have the same name. Makes things very, very easy. Um, yeah, I think he, he's benefiting greatly from De Bruyne's absence. And City, I think when we have De Bruyne in what we saw in the couple of games that he did play, is that we look a yard faster when we're counter-attacking. We look that little bit, uh, if it's possible, we look that little bit sharper Um Sort of, he lifts the team all over the pitch because he's a, a truly great player. But really, we're not at any great disadvantage for not having him, which is, you know, it's not often you can lose a world-class player and, and not notice the effects. But right now, City have, have clicked into gear and we can live without him. That said, I'd rather he was fit. Uh, but... There's nothing to fear with Bernardo and Mara's in there, and and David Silva has just normalised greatness. It's you know we, we sort of don't talk about him as often, but he was phenomenal again today. So yeah, individually plays benefit, but the team benefits from having Bernardo and Mara's in there. All right, and we will leave things there. Thanks you guys so much for joining us. If you'd like to tell people where they could find you or any projects you're working on, now would be a good time. Yeah, you can uh, get me on Twitter at Jack Chappell with two N's. I write for EPL Index, and I also heavily feature on the Championship podcast on this same channel. So check that one out uh, if you want to hear more of me uh, and various other people that know more about the Championship than I do. I'm on Twitter at cos underscore panda seventeen. I write for Calcio Mercato, the top Italian website and Italian football website, sorry, and a lot of other uh, football features website, including these Football Times, uh, Football Pink, and In Bed with Maradona. Yeah, I'm uh, on Twitter, at Richard the Burns, um, and I'm on the Blooming podcast, which is a dedicated Manchester City podcast released every Friday, uh, and I write two blogs a month for the associated blog, which is available to people who uh, who back us for a very small amount on Patreon. It helps keep the show going. Uh, to find out more about that or just to uh, just to follow the podcast and find out more about it, uh, we're on Twitter, at Blue Moon Podcast. Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter, at Kevroff. As uh, Jake mentioned, you can find the Championship Pod on this very channel, as well as the Fantasy Pod, so check both of those out if you don't mind. Staying in the Fantasy vein, you can find my uh, Fantasy Football articles at ESPN and at Goal.com. So if that tickles your fancy, feel free, although we are about to head into the international break, so if you need a break, I understand. Um, But thanks to the three of you for joining us today. It was a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening.
Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.